growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For a lot of people, I'm afraid, belief is nothing more than an intellectual acknowledgement. And listen to me, that kind of belief may be fine for the color of shirts or the amount of corn that you believe there is in Iowa or the number of sides that you believe are on a triangle. That may be fine, but it's not nearly enough for belief in Jesus. It's not nearly enough. Just exactly what does it mean to say, I believe? It's a phrase, a concept that we use a lot. I believe that it will rain today. I believe that was the best pizza I have ever had. I believe my team is going to win. What about this one? I believe in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That verse is certainly right. And the church was certainly right to proclaim that your works cannot save you. It is by grace and grace alone through faith that you are saved. The problem was, and in many churches still is today, very few people were willing to define what it actually meant to say that I believe in Jesus. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're diving into 1 John chapter 5 as we continue our series, The Am I Series, and discussing the idea of what it means to call ourselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to show us from 1 John chapter 5 some of the characteristics of real belief. Belief. It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. We know that belief or faith is essential for a relationship with God, but just exactly what should that look like? We're going to explore that very idea today. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's Pastor Clay. Have y'all ever tried to do something? Ernie's laughing already. He doesn't even know. Ernie knows me. We've known each other a long time. Have you ever tried to do something that, that it, it, it looked, well, I, I can do that. It's, it's not complicated. You ever tried to do something that it didn't look complicated, but you found out it wasn't easy either? One year, we took our family uh, out west to go snow skiing for Christmas. That was our Christmas present to everybody that year. So he saved up and uh, we went out west Snow skiing. Now, um, my boys uh, enjoyed snowboarding, uh, and they had never been out west, uh, where you always hear that there's much more snow, and the snow is much more, more much better. It's powdery and all that stuff. And so uh, that's what we did. One Christmas, we took uh, our three sons and went out west, out to Colorado, to a snow skiing resort. Now, I had never been on snow skis before. But I grew up water skiing in Florida, and I've watched the Winter Olympics plenty of times, so how hard can it be? So sure enough, we, we went out there, and there was lots of snow, and there was snow everywhere, and we went with some friends of ours who had been snow skiing for years. They, they, they were very good at it, and they'd been doing it for years. And so the first day we were there, uh, they took me out on the bunny slope. And the bunny slope is where you go as a beginner, where you begin to learn the thing. And that, that was fine. I mean, you know, it's sure, I've never been on skis before, but it's not complicated. You know, you put skis on your feet, you point them, um, you move your hips. At, uh, how hard can it be? You know, it's not complicated. So we went out to the bunny slope and we was there maybe about 15 minutes or so. And I said, well, I, I got this down. 
It's not complicated. And so uh, they uh, then proceeded to to take me up to this uh, Rocky Mountain High double black diamond uh, ski trail thing. Listen, I literally spent the next four hours or so falling down that mountain. If I wanted to go left, my skis went right. If I wanted to go right, my skis went left. I'm telling you, it's no lie. There were more impressions of my face in that Colorado snow that day than there are pot shops in Colorado today. I'm telling you. And there's a lot of them from what I understand. When, when, I, when I finally got down to the mountain and we were staying in like these series of rooms and they, it was like you could ski right from them right onto the thing. And so we I back out the mountain, got to m- my room and Cindy hears this just <clears throat> clamoring, clanging around out in the hallway. And so she comes out and she opens the door and I'm just sprawled out in, in the hallway. Still got my skis on my feet. I'm too exhausted to even get them off of my feet. And, and all I can say to her is, get these things off of me. <laughs> that was the first, last, and only time I have ever had snow skis on my feet. I spent the rest of the week in my room, and I was perfectly content to do that. It didn't look complicated, but it wasn't easy either. This morning, we jump into 1 John uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open there to 1 John 5, 13 uh, and, and read along. The text will be up on the screen as well. But before we read 1 John 5, 1 through 13, I want to do something that I haven't done in a while. I used to do it periodically, and, and uh, quite honestly, I haven't done it in a while. Uh, but as we get started this morning, I want to give you uh, what I call the BP square. And if you're new here or if you don't remember what that, I- that is, BP square stands for Big Picture Biblical Principle. It's, it's the, as, as I look at a passage of Scripture, I read a passage of Scripture, and, and I try and formulate kind of an overarching idea of what this text is saying or, or what its application is or something like that. For my life, so I sometimes we'll try and put that. Like I said, I haven't done it in a while, but I sometimes try and put that in in one uh, sentence. It's the BP squared. It's the big picture biblical principle. Okay, and the BP squared for First John five one through thirteen is this belief. It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. First John chapter five. I'm going to start reading verse 1 through verse 13. I'm so glad that you're here today. You have honored God with your presence and uh, you have blessed me as well. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is 
the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God, thank you that we can know that we have eternal life. John spells it out here as he has throughout this letter. And there's, there is truth for us to learn and apply to our lives. God, right now, would you open every heart, every mind to receive the truth of your word. God, block out the distractions, the, the stuff that, that wants to come and, and steal our attention. It could be something I've got to do next week. It could be something that, that's in front of us. It could be a financial issue. It could be a, a medical issue. It just wants to consume our mind. God, would you help us to break free from that this morning, at least for a little while, and focus on your word and what it means for our life, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me go ahead and tell you, uh, so that you don't lose any sleep over this, if you happen to be an outline taker, a a blank filler inner, um, there are three division statements there you'll see on the back of your uh, uh, information sheet. We will only cover two of those today. The third one we will cover next week. Um, uh, which is our, our pre-Thanksgiving service. We will have the Lord's Supper in here, which is something we traditionally do uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, just remembering what we have to be most thankful for and hope you all can be uh, here for that and we will finish up this message uh, then. But this morning, uh, based on what we just read in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, I want to begin with this idea for you uh, today. It looks like this. Belief promotes obedience... To God's commands. Belief, it's not complicated, but it's not easy either. Belief promotes obedience to God's commands. There is a term that probably most of you are familiar with. The term is baby boomer. How many of you heard that term before? Baby boomer. It, is, it was a name uh, invented and assigned to the people uh, in America born between 1945 and 1960. It was called the baby boomer generation because of the boom in the population during that period of time. As, uh, 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 as men came back from World War II, uh, and as they began to marry and began to have families, there was, there was a boom of the population in America. Hence the name baby boomer generation. 
but the population wasn't the only thing that boomed during that period of time. It was a period of phenomenal growth for us as a nation. Quite honestly, almost everything, virtually everything, boomed during that time. Uh, Industry boomed. Um, The car industry boomed. The housing uh, uh, and real estate market boomed. Cities exploded in, in their overall size and suburbs began to, to, uh, to spring up all around the cities as the nation was booming economically and booming uh, population-wise and booming with, with excitement and all that kind of stuff. And the church boomed too during that time. The church boomed in growth during that time. Maybe it was gratitude uh, for uh, the victory that God had brought in the war. Maybe it was because as uh, men and women began to have children, they thought, well, we're having children, we should take our children uh, to church. But whatever the reason, the church boomed during this period of time. Uh, it was a historic time of growth for the, for the church. Quite honestly, it was easy to get people into church. Unfortunately, at the same time that it was easy to get people into church, there began to develop, and I should, I should say that there perhaps has always been this to some extent, but historically in America, perhaps no more than during, no greater than during this time, there began to spring up a easy belief, an easy theology. And what I mean by that is uh, there just began to be this idea that, hey, just, just believe in Jesus and, and you're in. Just believe in Jesus and you get to go uh, to heaven. And, and the church uh, supported, and th- th- that was the mantra of evangelical churches all over America. Uh, just, do you, brother, do you believe? Just believe in, in Jesus and, and you get to go to heaven. And, and the church supported uh, that belief with Scripture Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household, Acts 16, 31. And and the church rightly proclaimed, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And the church said, man, all you have to do is, is believe, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins, believe that Jesus rose again on the third day, believe that, and you're in. Now listen to me. There is nothing theologically wrong with that statement. There is nothing theologically wrong with what I just said. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That verse is certainly right. And the church was certainly right to proclaim that your works cannot save you. It is by grace and grace alone through faith that you are saved. That's absolutely true. The problem was, and in many churches still is today, that nobody bothered to define belief. And I should, probably shouldn't say nobody. I, I'm sure there's some. But 
very few people were willing to define what it actually meant to say that I believe in Jesus. What does that actually mean to say that I believe in Jesus? People just didn't bother to define it. And maybe, maybe it was because, man, the church is growing. The people are coming in. We're filling up the pews with people who believe in Jesus. But nobody stopped to think, no, what does that, what does that actually mean when I say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus? And so I'm just telling you, as a, as a student of, of church history and as a pastor who has pastored uh, uh, flocks through the years, I can tell you that, that there, there developed this, this idea that belief was nothing, nothing more than, a, than an intellectual acknowledgement. It became nothing, it became the equivalent, it became on par with saying, I believe Ken's shirt is melon or whatever color that is. I believe they grow a lot of corn in Iowa. I I believe a triangle has three sides. For a lot of people, I'm afraid, belief is nothing more than an intellectual acknowledgement. And listen to me, that kind of belief may be fine for for the color of shirts or the amount of corn that you believe there is in Iowa or the number of sides that you believe are on a triangle. That may be fine, but it's not nearly enough for belief in Jesus. It's not nearly enough for belief in Jesus. Now, let me say this. While, while very few people were defining what it meant to say, I believe in Jesus, I, I want to be clear. The, the Bible was defining it. If you've been with us through 1 John, John has been defining the mess out of it. Paul defines what it is to call myself a follower of Jesus. James defines what it means to call myself a believer in Jesus. Jesus defines what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Throughout Scripture, they define it. But, but, but for whatever reason, they're just developed this idea that still exists in many people's lives today. The idea that, oh, yeah, I believe that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And nobody bothered to, to truly actually define what it means to believe. Let's read it again, verses one through three, this time from the New Living Translation. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. That's, uh, obviously, that's, that's true. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children. You're, you're, you become part of this family, right? That loves his children too. We know we love God's children. How? If we love God and obey his commands. Now listen, listen to what he's saying. Now he's not saying that obeying his commands is what saves you. He's not contradicting Paul in Ephesians uh, that, we, that I re- said to you in just a moment. He's not contradicting that. He's just saying if you love God, well, of course you're going to obey his commands. Of course, if you, if you actually love God, you'll obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome listen i I know this is not the first time john has said this if you've been with us through this series you know that this idea of obedience obedience to god obedience to god's command and his desire for your life you know that this is one of the central themes of first john this is one of those those central themes of 1 John. And here, as he prepares to close out this letter, and this is the last chapter of 1 John, as he prepares to close out this letter, he circles back around again to those three overarching themes that keep showing up in 1 John, obedience, love, and truth. He comes back to them again. And why does he do it? Why does he do it? 1 John 5.13, 
It says it very clearly. These things have I written. First John five thirteen, please. I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. What? I, I, to go through life, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I hope I'm saved or wishing that I'm part of the family of God or thinking that I'm going to go to heaven. I, I think that would be such a, a, a a devastating way to go through life, never having the assurance or knowing confidently that, that I know that I have eternal life. And how tragic for, for anyone to step across that threshold called death only then to discover that the belief they had wasn't actually belief in Jesus. No, listen to me. John says, all the rest of Scripture says, that belief means that because I believe, because I have this relationship with God, because I love him, I want to keep his commandments. That's why John says, and his commandments aren't burdensome. If, if, if I love God, man, I, I want to live my life the way he wants to live. I want to come under obedience to his commandments. It's not always easy, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But, but I want to do this because I love God and I'm part of the family of God. Watch and listen to this story of Emily and about the truth of God's power and word. As a kid, I was pretty rebellious and would get in trouble a lot for challenging teachers and parents and whatnot. I wanted to feel loved and accepted fully. That's something that I hadn't had with my family or with the small town I was in. I remember posting on Facebook, the Lord is my shepherd and he knows that I'm gay. And that was my way of saying that God knows me and accepts me and my sin. I never saw any issue or any contradiction in me going to church and in me being in that lifestyle at all. I saw others in the church in other sin and figured that I was fine too. Even though I was gay, my aunt asked me to be in a Bible study. So I was learning about like the goodness of God and the holiness of God. And I was thinking about my identity. When I was looking at the scriptures, I I realized I wasn't reading the Bible to understand what it said. I was cherry picking verses and it's not Christianity at all. It was really a struggle in this flesh that didn't want to change. I was either going to accept this as truth, all of it, even the parts that I didn't like, or I was going to cast it all aside. When I actually opened scripture to understand what it said about my lifestyle, I'd never felt so much conviction and weight and guilt for sin and so much love and forgiveness and grace at the same time. I understood that I was guilty and I knew I needed forgiveness, so I clung to Him. I didn't want my sin anymore. I knew I had to forsake it. I had to be fully surrendered and repent. I was overwhelmed with the mercy that He showed me. 
the Lord gave me a wonderful husband who loves me and who loves God and who can serve alongside me. Our hope and our peace and our significance comes from our relationship with God, not each other. He can keep us. He can grow us. And He can be sufficient for us. It's about being right with Him. Seeking Him first. Isn't that awesome? It's, it's a testimony of, of, of a young lady who comes with the conviction of God's Word and realizes as, as she's going to church, right? As she, and I'm, I'm okay in my lifestyle. I, I'm okay uh, being gay and uh, believing in Jesus. But, but when she came under the weight of the reality of God's Word and, and what God's expectation was for her, she felt, and I loved how she said that, both, both the reality of the, the weight of her sin and the reality of the love of God and how God met her in that and offered her grace and forgiveness in that. Listen, that is the truth of God's Word. Let me show you some more from God's Word, if I can, here. First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty two. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Let me, let me put that in today's context. Saying that you believe in God and showing up for church won't cut it. That, that's, that's not what it's about. That, that won't do it that it's about submitting yourself to the authority of God's word and the belief that what God wants for you is what is best for you and for your life, whether you understand. And she said that, even the parts I didn't like, I had to come under submission to them. That's obedience to God's commands. And that's how you know that this thing that you have with God is real, that this belief, this faith, they're the same words in the Greek, by the way, this belief, this faith, that, that, that that's how you know that it is real. Now, somebody might say, but... But that, that's Old Testament. We're, under, we're, we're not under law. We're under grace. Okay, well, how about what Jesus said, Luke six forty six? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why? It's, 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 I've said this before, but it's just kind of silly. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, yeah, I'm, I've got this going on, or I'm having this, or this. I'm letting this happen in my life. or I'm gonna, And I think God's Word says something about that, but, but I, I'm... You understand what he's saying? It's very clear that belief, real belief, when it's genuine, when it's authentic, it, it draws me to this idea of being obedient to his commandments in my life. I, again, I know that this is a theme that comes up repeatedly in, in, in First John. I know uh, in some sense it may seem like, man, you're, you're, you're beating a dead horse. We keep bringing up this idea of obedience. But listen to me, it must be the fact that it keeps coming up. It must be that there is potential for misunderstanding what actual belief is. The fact that John keeps bringing this up over and over and over again must mean there's potential to misunderstand what it actually means to believe. It must mean that there's potential to to believe intellectually. Say, oh yeah, I, I believe that's true. Like I believe that there's a lot of corn in Iowa but it not actually change a person's life. And John is saying, and the Bible says over and over again, listen, that's not belief. That's not salvific, biblical belief. Proverbs 12, 2 says, says this, or Proverbs 21, 2, sorry. People may be right in their own eyes, 
but the Lord examines the heart. The Lord examines their heart. That, that's, that's the thing, to examine the heart. And so, uh, I think the Apostle Paul really kind of picks up on that idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Now, why would Paul possibly say that? Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Belief, real belief, real faith produces a real desire in me to follow the commandments of God and to, to, to serve Him with my life. If your faith doesn't generate that in your life, if you don't find yourself with this desire to, to come away, we'll get to temptation, all that in just a second. If your desire uh, for God isn't, isn't to live for Him. That's why John says, God's commands aren't burdensome. They, they won't be burdensome to you. Not if your desire is for Him and, and for His honor and for glory and for His kingdom. If, if, if yours is not, then you need, to, you need to ask yourself, do I have this genuine, authentic, biblical belief? Is that my life to follow Jesus? Or is it just an intellectual acknowledgement? Yeah, Jesus, he's God. He died on the cross. Okay, let me get to the, the second idea uh, this morning. Belief produces victory over the world's pull. It will, it will promote obedience to God's commandments and belief will produce victory over the world's pull. Let me read verse 4 and 5 again. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. But he overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Say it. Say it like you mean it. Our faith. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes, he who has faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Believes, as we just talked about, as Scripture defines it. As a type of belief that caused me to desire to obey God's commands for my life. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Belief allows me to have victory in my life. Now, we live in a world that is constantly pulling us in its direction. Would you say that's safe to say? Teenagers, adults... You could be here and you could be 18 or you could be 80. It, you could be, that is constantly pulling us in the direction of the world. In a direction away from the holiness of God, as Emily made reference to, and to the, ple- the pleasing of the flesh. What is pleasing to the flesh? And listen to me, I'm not just talking about the big sins, okay? The pull toward the big sins. I'm not just talking about, about uh, sexual activity outside of marriage or, or homosexuality or pornography or, or lust or, uh, or even lying or, or stealing or murder. I, I'm not just talking about the, 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 the big sins. Yes, we know what it is to feel that pull of the flesh. Every single one of us knows what it is to have that pull of the flesh uh, away from the things of God and toward those things that, that bring 
gratification and, and, and satisfaction to our flesh, right? By the way, don't hear me say that sexuality is, is bad. Don't, don't hear me say that's not what I'm attempting to say here. I'm not saying that sexuality is bad. God gave us this gift of sexuality. God created us male and female, and he gave us this wonderful thing uh, of our sexuality. He gave us this wonderful thing called sex, uh, but he gave it to us, this precious, powerful thing, and he gave it to us as he does everything that he gives to us. He gave it to us with a set of directions. He gave it to us with a set of directions. And that those directions are given to us in the context of, of talking about our sexuality, are given to us because God knows what is best for us physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. He gives us guidelines for this precious, powerful gift called sex. It's no, it's no surprise, it's no secret that the world uh, today says that, hey, it's, it's your sexuality, do with it whatever you want, however much you want, with whoever you want, just do it. In reality, I'm not over-exaggerating when I say the world has turned this gift of, of sex that God has given to The world has turned it into a recreational sport. And God says, I've given you this precious thing, but you've got to follow my guidelines because that's what's going to be best for you physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, to follow these guidelines. So it, it, it's, we, we know what that pull is, right? But it's not just those things. It's not just the, 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 the big sins. A- anyway, it, it, we're, we're going to experience this pull in this life and in this world. But, but what about some of the other things? What about the pull to worry or be anxious or to be fearful? Anybody ever, ever suffer from those temptations? Feel the pull of those temptations? Be anxious for nothing? It's not, it's not even, he didn't even stutter when he said it. Be anxious for nothing. How about the how about the pull towards anger? How about the how about the pull towards towards uh, just the lure, the pull of, of money and to have more stuff and all this kind of stuff? Uh, you understand what I'm saying? It's it's not just what we think of as the big sins. It's it's this pull towards anything that that is pulling us more away from this 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 relationship with God and understanding who He is and and falling under obedience to Him. We know that. But God's word says, for those who are in Christ that have this real belief, this real faith, that they have victory. They can have victory in their life over these, these, these pulls, these things. Yes, the pull of the world is strong. Yes, we feel that pull, but we can have victory. And you know why? Because God is stronger. God is bigger. Watch and listen to the story of Nate. I told myself that it wasn't all that bad. Boy, was I wrong. There I am, everybody's best friend, beautiful wife, three kids. From the outside, it looked good, except for the secret part that nobody knew about. One that carried, in my mind, no risk. Pornography hooked me deep. I knew I would be back. Whatever risk I would have to take, whatever price I would have to pay, I would be back. But 
porn took me places I never thought I would go. It groomed me, trained me, set me up. So I'm just driving along and I see this girl. I pull over to offer her a ride and she propositioned me. And suddenly I'm picking up my first prostitute on my way to a Christmas Eve service. I'd been hiding my porn use for a long time and thought I could hide it forever. And then one night, my wife caught me. I vowed again, I promised once again to stop, and I explained and I begged, and she forgave me. But when, a few weeks later, she found that condom on the floor in the bathroom that I couldn't quite explain, she finally uh, said the words that she needed to say and the words that saved my life. She said, I'm done. She said, I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't think you can ever change. That was it for me. That was my wake-up call from fantasy and infidelity. It hurt to hear my wife say she didn't like me anymore. It was as though there was a part of me that died. I'd reached the point where I actually believed that I had become an unlovable person. It was that moment that I finally became willing to do something I'd never been willing to do before. Come clean. And not just with her, but with somebody else and with God. I had to surrender to a Christian recovery program. They made me understand that I could only experience healing to the depth that I'm willing to confess and repent. I dreaded it at the beginning, but I confessed everything. I had to leave my isolated world behind. I wanted a private solution to my private problem. And he loved me too much to give it to me. The intimacy I was always looking for, I, I couldn't find until I was willing to bring my real self into the relationship with God. My wife and I are closer than we've ever been. She didn't tell me until just a few years ago that um, every night after I fell asleep, she would put her hand on my chest and pray for me. That God would make me into the man that I was supposed to be. I know God heard those prayers. If you will just bring your real self and walk openly with other people, you can experience true intimacy with God and others. That is the victory that God brings or can bring into our life. Listen, can I just remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture uh, this morning? First uh, Chronicle twenty nine eleven. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the what? Say it. The what? 
the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that's in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. We sometimes so feel like, oh, this, is, this has got a hold of my life or I can't change or I'll never get over this or I'll never have victory over this in my life, whether it's a sin, whether it's, whether it's the guilt of the sin, whether it's the whatever. And, and God's saying, no, who do you think I am? You don't think I can bring victory into your life? Psalm thirty-three, seventeen uh, reminds us, a horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. In other words, the psalmist is saying, listen, you can't do this. You don't, it's, not, it's, not, it's not physical, it's not man that can bring this victory. Hey, you remember this? You remember last chapter? You remember these words from John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4? You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The rest of our lives, we, we may have to live in, this, in this, this thing that is this temptation, this draw towards the world. Unfortunately, when we come to Christ, we, we, aren't, we aren't given a, a Jesus bubble that we can get into and escape all the temptations that, that come into our life. We don't, we don't get a Holy Spirit shot that inoculates us from, from the temptations and the draw uh, of the world. Our TV doesn't get born again and only, and only uh, tune in to TBN and, and the Hallmark Channel. The temptations are still there. The draw is still there. But when my faith is real, when it is authentic, when it is genuine, then I can have victory in my life. I know I face temptations. I know I I can't at any point think, well, I've arrived. I'm never. No, but I can have victory in my life because the power of God that operates within us. Faith. There's an old hymn we used to sing. Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. What a great assurance. Throughout history, men and women have been willing to stake their lives on their belief in Jesus. As Pastor Clay explained today, belief in Jesus is a lot more than just lip service. Belief that is authentic promotes obedience in us. It causes us to want to live our lives as God would want. And belief produces victory for our lives as we trust in Him and live for Him. And as Pastor Clay showed us, real belief brings witness from God's truth. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire.
desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.